0: Scripture reading this morning is first chapter of Matthew verses 18 through 25. The Pew Bibles. That's on page 849. Again, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary, was betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you Mary, do not take to you. Which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus.
1: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We hope that you're having a wonderful holiday weekend. It's wonderful to be able to oftentimes during these holiday weekends have a little extra time to spend time with family and perhaps uh, to catch up on things and just relax and enjoy some things. And so I hope that it's been a very, very good weekend. And we're so thankful that everybody made the decision this morning to come and to worship God. And what a wonderful, wonderful topic as we think for this quarter of the wonderful, wonderful Savior that we serve. I want to continue to remind you that next Sunday is Grandparents Day. You will notice that there are yellow forms in most of the children's classrooms and some even in the foyer. That's kind of like a survey where we want children to tell us what they think about their grandparents. And then there's some blue forms, and they're scattered throughout many of the adult classrooms and also throughout the foyer. And we want you to tell us what you think about your grandchildren. And if you will, be sure and and submit those at least by Wednesday evening to the Information Center. Uh, You can return those. If you'd like to put your name on them, you can. If you'd rather not, that's fine, too. And we look forward to giving honor to God's plan of the family next Sunday morning. Uh, Do keep in mind that uh, we hope that you invite your grandchildren, or we hope you invite your grandparents. And what a wonderful, wonderful blessing God's design of the family is, and we want to give honor to that next Sunday morning. You know, when you go to the Alamo, it's said that just as you go inside the door, there is a portrait, and underneath this portrait is the inscription James Butler Bonham. No picture of him exists. This portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. It is placed here by the family that the people may know the appearance of the man who died for their freedom. Isn't that interesting that in order for this man to receive honor, the family decided, since we don't have a portrait of him... Let's put one of his nephew, because apparently everybody says his nephew looks just like him. You know, just the other day I was told, the older you get, the more you look like your father. You know, when we think about what it is to be a Christian, have you ever stopped and thought about the fact we don't have an earthly portrait of Jesus? Not by photography, of course, and not even by a brush. But you know what we do have? Hopefully, we have hundreds in this room that their life, the very character, the very decisions that individuals make, the very life that has been built within them, they're all brush strokes that resemble Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful, and surely all of us have it set as our desire, that we can say, the older I get, the more I look like my Jesus. As we think about achieving spiritual greatness this quarter, we're thinking about becoming more like Jesus. You see, the spiritual greatness, as interesting as it is, it doesn't come about because we focus on us. Spiritual greatness comes about because we focus on Jesus. And instead of seeking to become more like us, our carnal nature, we seek to escape that and to put that to death and become more like Jesus. And so this quarter, I hope that you'll enter into this worship service as we study uh, these scriptures together, but especially as you go into Bible classes, I hope that you approach this quarter with a mindset that says, I really do want to learn more about Jesus because I want to look more like Jesus by the time this quarter is finished. And so as we think about that, we we think about this magnificent mystery that we see it referenced to there in Matthew the first chapter in in 20 and 21, where we see that, that Joseph has been approached by an angel. And as we think about Joseph, you know, he's a man of great noble character that we really just do not know that much about him. We do know that he was a man that whenever he was placed in a very difficult situation, he wanted to deal tenderly with his wife, even though he had believed that she had wronged him. You see, the betrothal that would have taken place in their day and time was an official ceremony. There would have been people gathered around. There would have been singing. There would have been music that accompanied that singing as they went back to their house. And later, there would have then been a marriage-type ceremony, but both were very official. And so between these two events, Joseph receives word, Your wife is pregnant. He knows it's not with him. And so he decides, instead of making, the Scripture says, a public example of her, he decides to deal in a very tender way toward her and put her away privately. But then the angel of the Lord reminds him or informs him that this just isn't any baby. And that the reality is, indirectly, it's being said, Mary has been most faithful to you and also to God. And so what he is told is that the conception is of the Holy Spirit. And then he is given this command. Look at verse 20 and 21. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she shall bring forth a son. Now skip down to 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife. You see the great compliment that that is to Joseph? In other words, he was saying by his actions, Lord, what you ask of me, I will do. And so he went from in one moment saying, I'm going to put her away privately, to saying, Lord, now I understand your will clearly, and I want to do your will. And bringing forth Jesus was an awesome and a holy mystery that there are parts of it that's still hard for our our earthly mind to comprehend. But then we come to this question. What is the baby going to be named? You know, any of you that have had children know that it's not always easy to think of exactly what should the name be. Just this past week, I met a young family and and they introduced their little baby. He was just about a year old and his name was Canyon. Curiosity, I couldn't help it. I said, hey, where did you get that name? That's a unique name. Isn't it interesting when we think about the Messiah coming to this earth. And God in heaven didn't say, I'm going to leave this up to these young parents. Hey, you name Him whatever you want to name Him. But instead we see a few names given and each time they're given by God because God had something very specific that He wanted to communicate. The first that He gave Him was says that you shall call His name Jesus for He shall save His people from their sins. Now, when we think of Jesus, we immediately think of this great connection of the Messiah. But think about when Jesus was being named at a baby, there was no connection to Jesus being the Messiah. As a matter of fact, Jesus was about the most common Jewish name that there could be. Today, we talk about the name John Doe, because we assume that that John is a pretty common name, and it is. And, And that's the way Jesus would have been for them. It was the Greek name of the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua meant Savior. And so there would have been many children in that day and time, many boys named Jesus. But notice the description that is tied with Him that He is going to be a Savior. He is going to fulfill the meaning of that name. But notice, He's going to save His people from their sins. You see, they thought that whenever the Messiah was coming, that He would set up a kingdom that would be like David's kingdom. You remember when David reigned, David was a mighty warrior. David reigned with the sword. David was able to lead an empire that was stronger and greater than any other kingdom on this earth. And Jesus, He's going to save His people, not from Roman rule. He's going to save His people from their sins. It's interesting also that He notes His people. You see, they would have heard that and thought that He was talking about Israel, the Hebrew children, But no, you and I know because we have the rest of the new covenant. We know that He's talking about the church, the ones that He redeemed. In Titus 2nd chapter and verse 14, He calls them His own special people. It's Jesus saying, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Galatians 3 and 28, He means whether it's male or female, Jew or Greek, or even if it's a slave or a free man. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Anyone that comes to Jesus and submits their life, making Him Lord of their life, He can be their Savior. The angel says to the, the father that's going to adopt this young boy, he says, I want to I tell you, his name's going to be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. But then we read down two more verses in 23. We see that he's also called by another name. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son... And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. If you'd like to turn back to Isaiah, the 7th the chapter. Isaiah, the 7th chapter. And in verse 14 in the Bible that's in your pews, that'll be around 610. 610. This angel was quoting Old Testament prophecy that Isaiah had said. And Isaiah had spoken of this very thing, except as he begins this prophecy, he says in Isaiah 7 and 14, he calls it a sign. Notice again as we read from Isaiah. Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. And what does that mean, a sign? Isn't it a pretty powerful sign that a virgin gives birth? You realize that since the beginning of time, that had never happened. And since that time, it has never repeated itself, nor will it. Here is a once in a lifetime of the universe, an event. A virgin is going to give birth. And Isaiah says, that miracle Is only going to be a sign. In other words, there's something a lot greater than that miracle that is being pointed out. A sign points to something. What was this miracle pointing to? How are we going to know who is the Messiah? And Isaiah says, you can recognize the Messiah by this sign. When a virgin gives birth, that's going to be the Messiah. Now think about that very fact of the virgin. You remember when we read over in Luke, the first chapter, which is interesting. Matthew, we have a great explanation of Joseph. And Luke, we have a great explanation of Mary. And you remember when she was chosen? You remember she was told twice, you are highly favored by God. And you remember when she was told that she would conceive and, and give forth the birth to a son? She said, how can it be? I do not know a man. You see, she described her own purity. And then whenever she realized what the will of God was, she didn't put her hands on her hips and say, that's not my plan. I wanted Joseph and I to have several years so that we could just enjoy each other. You don't understand. I've had my life planned out since I was a little girl. I don't want that. Instead, her answer to the shocking news was, I am your maidservant, God. Let your command be carried out in my life. What a beautiful, beautiful answer. There's going to be a sign. A virgin is going to give birth. And that baby that comes to this earth, notice this. His name is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. You see... His birth is going to fulfill prophecy, but His birth is going to place God on earth. Let that one sink in. And if it just kind of goes over your head and, and, and it really doesn't mean a whole lot to you right now, I want to challenge you. You're not thinking about it. I want to challenge you this week, and as we think over this next quarter, I want to challenge you this week to try to come to grips, and you'll never be able to do it completely. But spend some time in John the first chapter and try to come to grips with the fact that when Mary went into labor and she gave birth, what was born was a baby who was literally God with us. We have a word that identifies it. Incarnation. But isn't that hard to grasp? Jesus did not cease to be God As He took upon Himself the form of flesh. And as Philippians 2 speaks, that He he came to us in the likeness of man. What does that mean? He came through the womb just as every man has come through the womb. He came to this earth as a baby just as every man has come to this earth. He was all human. 100% human. But He took upon Himself flesh and dwelt among us. John 1 and 14. But for the last few minutes of this lesson, I'd like for you to flip your page in your Bible and go to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Isaiah, the ninth chapter. Isaiah just has to say a little more about this Emmanuel, about Emmanuel, God with us. And and I I hope that, that some way we can just touch the hem of the garment of a beautiful, beautiful study to try to grasp the understanding of how great is this mystery and how great is it that God dwelt among us. What are we going to call Him? God says, Joseph, I want you to call Him Jesus because He's going to save the people from their sins. I want you to know that He's going to be called Emmanuel. He's literally going to be God with you. But then let's read this, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, No, it's unto us. The blessing is ours, brethren. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Wonderful. It's the epitome of love. It was love lived out in flesh. He was truth. He was spiritual and moral truth. So perfect and so grand that when we stand and, and, and view it, we can't help but say, Wonderful. He is the excitement that comes in the heart of men and women that are spiritually hungry and wanting some answers. How many times have you and I studied with individuals? Are we seeing the result of individuals? who knows that something is missing in their life, and they finally say, I understand now. Jesus is the answer. I want to be immersed into Christ for the remission of my sins. And all of us have seen individuals, and and when you see it in a a quieter setting, outside of a worship service, what you see is that person walk out, and you hear the the communication, and you, you see the expressions, and several standing around will always say, This is a wonderful occasion. Next time you hear those words, you remember the name of our Jesus. Why is it wonderful? Friends, it's not just a description. It's literally what it is. It's life with wonderful. Wonderful is Jesus. He offers us what no one else would or can. But notice also, counselor, He literally has the answer to every situation and every problem that we might think of or that we might find ourselves in. It's a very short verse, but I want to read to you two lines out of your Bible in Colossians the second chapter and verse three about Jesus, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's a he is the most perfect counselor. Because he has all wisdom, all knowledge. You know what could have changed Hitler's life? Counselor, the counselor. You know what made David the man he was? Because as his God was the counselor. You know what helped Moses? His leader was the counselor. You know what would help President Obama and any leader today? To have God as His counselor. You know what would help any head of the home, any elder, any Christian? Is to have God as their counselor. Friends, we know the blessing that we have in having Bud Lambert on staff, but please realize it's not because he has something figured out in life that nobody else has figured out. It's because he's able to sit down and help us find the answers from God because God is the counselor and you won't find anybody that finds life's answers outside of the realm of God. It doesn't exist. There's no such thing as great powerful secular counseling that's outside the realm of God. It doesn't exist. Even when secular counselors are successful, it's because they have found truth that is from God. The counselor. They may not realize it, but that's what it goes back to. But then notice he's also called mighty God. That child that's coming, he is part of the Godhead. And then also notice He's called Everlasting Father. That's interesting. The child is called Everlasting Father. Why? Because John 1, read the first several verses, there would not be anything made except He made it. You remember Bill Cosby, his little comical routine where he says to his kids, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. You know, why? what do we view a father? We view a father as one who has created Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God. But if we want to back up from that description and say, is he a father type? Is he a creator? Absolutely, he is a creator. As a matter of fact, in Genesis, in, in, in Genesis the uh, 45th chapter in verse 8, did you know that, that Joseph is literally called the father of Pharaoh? Because in that passage, the Father is used to describe one that protects another. And so when we think about what is our only hope so that we can be protected against Satan, it's to have Jesus as our Father, as our protector. But then finally this morning, notice, He is the Prince of Peace. He's not the prince with a sword. He's not the prince of jihad. He's not the prince that says, I'm going to set up something earthly that is powerful. He's the prince that says, be anxious in nothing. He's the prince that says, I can give you a peace that passes understanding. Lives, families, congregations, they all know a level of peace that would be impossible for them to create on their own if they have the prince of peace as their God. Jesus. He shall save His people from their sins. What are we going to call this baby? He's going to be called Emmanuel. God with us. And He left heaven. And He came in the form of the flesh. And He dwelt among us. And you know what? He not only wants to be with us now, but He wants to be with us for an eternity. Do you remember that passage that's a favorite among many of us? Where He says, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again, receive you in Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Not only is God with us now, but He wants to be with us for an eternity. Friends, when you hear the name Jesus, what does that mean to you? Is it wonderful? Is He counseling your life? Is He the mighty God and the everlasting Father? Is He the Prince of your life? If not, this morning just may be one of the best days of your life. You can name Him as your God. Emmanuel, God with us. If you're not saved and you want to be immersed into Christ for the mission of your sins, or you have been saved and you've lost the way and you want to come back, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.